You may be seated. As you're doing so, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. You can also find the text for today's sermon on the outline inside of your bulletin, which will come along with an, in, with an, with an outline of the service itself, the sermon itself, excuse me. This is our second look at this passage as a whole in really what's becoming a mini-series toward the end of Peter's first letter to these churches in Asia Minor. And this mini-series, if you will, has been focused upon, directed toward the office of elder. What does an elder look like? How should an elder act? In what ways should they carry out their duties? And lastly, and Lord willing, we'll see next week, how should we as the church respond to the elders that carry out these duties? Peter understood well. Remember, he's living in a time of extreme conflict for the church. Peter understood well, for the sake of the church, you must call godly men to serve. Godly men must serve the church For its own sake. When we see things go awry in churches. More often than not. It's because someone. Particularly someone in office. Has started acting in a way that's not befit of that office. They have gone against their vows. They have gone against what they have proclaimed they will do. And it hurts. It causes great hurt. To the church, it causes great hurt to that individual. It can cause great hurt to families. It really can become a a destructive process that can take years and years to recover from. If you think back to our passage last week as we covered uh, verse 1 and the first half of verse 2, Peter started this study by telling us what elders should look like. They should follow his example, and that's not an example of perfection, that's an example of humility. They should share in the sufferings of Christ, looking at Peter's own witness to the suffering of Christ, and his own suffering for the sake of Christ. He says leaders must do likewise, and they must be eagerly awaiting the glory that is to be revealed. You must have leaders who are excited about Jesus' return. But... Not only that, we read that they are to shepherd the flock of God. That elders shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock that are among them. That they shepherd the flock that are among them. Exercising oversight. Providing leadership. And as we see today and and we read through this passage. um, We will continue this list of qualifications. And particularly focus on the heart behind what is taking place. And so that's what we will see this morning in our text. I do invite you to now look with me to the word of God and follow along, please. As I read from the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 5, I will read this morning verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for a shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you go with me in prayer as we ask his blessing upon this time? O Lord, we have heard from you this morning. We have heard your word for us today, and we believe it is your word for us today. We believe it is true. We believe it is good. And so now, Father, we ask you, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit that we may understand, that we may be able to apply it to our lives, Lord, that we may use it to protect this church and to seek to find leaders who will serve well. And, O Lord, from the members to the leaders, may each one of us look to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, as our source of hope, our source of strength, and our source of encouragement. And may that come through this message this day. Give me the strength to do so now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There is a phrase in counseling, biblical counseling, that's often used, and we're reminded of it um, frequently, and it says this, people will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. If, if my supervisor has quoted anything to me more frequently, I don't know what it is. People will not know how much you care, will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Probably why he's repeating it to me is I keep getting it wrong. But the, the, the truth of that, the, the heart of that is a, a good reminder. If you're not trusted by others, it will be much harder to offer what they need, especially in times of difficulty, even if you have the right answer. Even if this is exactly what they need. If they don't feel that they can believe you, that you are having their best interest in mind, it is quite difficult to get them to take the medicine. And in some ways, this is really what Peter's addressing in the middle section of this passage. We've talked about what an elder should look like. We've talked about what an elder should do. And now, in the, the middle section, we talk about how they should go about doing these things. And that Counseling adage rings true. Show the people of God how much you care. We really could sum this section up in that way. Peter does this in a beautiful comparison. I, I love list, reading through this list. He does it with comparisons. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. Not in this way, but in this way. Not by doing this, but by doing this. Not through this means, but through this means. He gives us a very good, uh, detailed list of comparisons on how elders should not act and how elders should act. 
And then the, the, the pinnacle verse, and it really, to me, is the heart of this passage, um, is verse 4. And oh, do we need verse 4. We need verse 4 because we, it says, when the chief shepherd, or you could translate that, when the chief elder comes, Jesus Christ, then there will be crowns and glory awaiting. And so this morning, I want us to see each of these various sections in our text um, and each of them, again, describe how elders should perform their duties or their calling in the church. And the first way that elders must do so is viewing their, their tasks, their job, their calling as a privilege. It is a privilege. It is not an obligation. We see this in verse 2. And then secondly... We see that elders or shepherds must see their work as meaningful, as full of value. And this is also in verse 2. And then thirdly, we see in verse 3, shepherds must lead by example. The, the, the chief way in which they educate, that they instruct, that they um, convey the message of the gospel to the people of God is by example. And then fourthly, again, um, that pinnacle passage, that, that pinnacle verse that ties all of this together, one through five, shepherds must look to the chief shepherd for their source of strength. And so we will see this morning four ways that elders should lead or how they should conduct themselves. Would you please follow along with me, seeing the privilege of the calling? And looking at it in its, its, its context, we begin at the beginning of verse 2 uh, to get the sentence. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And again, if you were with us last week, you know we get three ways that um, shepherds are to lead, or elders. They lead the flock. Um, in shepherding, they lead those that are among them. They lead through oversight. But let me ask you a question. Is it simply enough to take care of those duties? Is it a checkbox when we look to our elders and go, okay, are they overseeing the church? Yes or no? Check. Are they taking care of those amongst them? Yes or no? Check. Are they being shepherds to the sheep? Check. In some ways, yes, you want the thing carried out. You, you want the action to take place. But we need to be very careful in that. We don't want to, to dissolve this down to just a checklist because for elders and for our own lives, for that matter, what's going on under the hood or what's going on in the heart matters as much as, if not more, than the action that is taking place. There are many ways to do the right thing for the wrong reason, or to do the right thing for the wrong attitude. Peter is warning us here that elders are to shepherd the flock not under compulsion, but willingly. This should make us take great care when carrying out 
the tasks of the church. I, I think a, a beautiful passage that uh, depicts this well is uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives these very um, gut-punching descriptions of murder and adultery. In Matthew 5, he says, It is not simply enough to avoid murder for anyone who has hatred in his heart toward another has committed murder. And then later on in, in the chapter, it is not enough to simply avoid the physical act of adultery. For if anyone has lusted after someone with their eyes, with their thoughts, or with their hearts, they have sinned against God. And so when we consider how we lead, how we carry out our responsibilities, it is not enough just to see that the things are getting done. We must also make sure that it's being done with the right heart, with a good attitude, with joy in our lives. Elders should not feel compelled by their office alone, the title given to them, the responsibilities placed on them. God would have the elders visit the sick, administer the sacraments, teach classes, and lead the church because He is worthy. Not because our description demands it. And let's be honest. Sometimes that's hard. We all feel this in our day-to-day -day lives. Each and every one of us. We know this temptation. There is a pressure to perform. We parent because we are parents. Not because God has gifted us with these little treasures. We carry out our work duties because our title says that that's who we are and that's what we must do, not because there is joy in this labor that God has given us. One commentator noted that you could translate this passage differently, um, that phrase, as God would have you, uh, you could also state it as, as God would do it. So elder shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would do it. And boy, does that put an exclamation point at the end of that statement. This brings a, a, a weight, a seriousness to these qualities. As I'm often, I'm reminded of the words in Ephesians 5.25, where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And every time I read that passage or it's brought up, I find myself going, oh, that's it. That's, that's all we got to do. And if you look at that, you know, wives get like this section. They get a whole long list of, of responsibilities. And then we get Paul going, oh, and oh, gentlemen, you just love your wives like Christ loved the church and you'll be fine. Boy, what a, what, thanks, Jesus, you know, um, through Paul, like, really? Elders lead willingly. As God would lead. Again, thanks. Thanks, God. But in our marriages, and we know this, the problem is we're often selfish and not Christ-like. And we don't lead like Jesus. The problem in leadership is we are selfish and often not Christ-like. And we don't lead like Jesus. And so Peter reminds us here that we must see our calling, that we must see our office as a privilege, an opportunity, something to be grateful for and to go after with zeal because he is worth it. And really, if you continue down this list, you'll, you'll see Peter's really using these other points to, to um, 
anchor this first one. He does that in our second point by showing us that the work is meaningful. That, that shepherds or elders, I'll use the word interchangeably, they must view their work as meaningful, which means it is meaningful. Again in verse 2, and, and we have to dig a little to see it, but I, I believe you'll see it with me. We're the first to lead willingly because our work matters. It has value. And he says, not, so again, shepherds shepherd the flock of God, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And if the text says, don't do something for shameful gain, that means or is implied that there is gain that's not shameful. If there's a way to do it shamefully and there's a benefit, then there must be a benefit or blessing that is received that is not shameful. Which again implies that there is value to this work. And we're going to bring that back up in just a moment. But I want to, to sit down and sit down on this thought for a moment. Shameful gain. When I, when I state that the work of an elder is meaningful and has value, I am not necessarily saying that it is financial in nature. Becoming an elder for financial gain, well, it's, it's just foolish thinking. Um, but it's also unwise. Not only because you, you can't do it. Well, you can, but, but not in the right way. Uh, but let me give you just two reasons. One, one reason that it's unwise to, to seek the office of leader um, for shameful gain. In our denomination, in the PCA, uh, the church typically only pays its teaching elders. And, and so if, if you want to seek the calling of, of elder and you want to do it for gain, um, there's not much there. Um, and so that leads you to another option. Uh, maybe you say, all right, well, then I'll become a teaching elder. Um, Pastor, you're paid by the church, and I'm grateful for that. Please don't hear any of this as a complaint. I, I'm not um, meaning that in the least bit. I am well taken care of, and, and my family has food on the table, and our needs are met. But if you find yourself going, well, then that's what I want to do. Um, again, in our denomination, that there is a path for that. Uh, that's an undergraduate degree. Um, that is three to five years in a master's program approved by our denomination. Uh, that is coming under the care of a presbytery. Uh, that is taking, um, I believe it's the five, if not six, ordination exams, uh, written uh, and then orally in front of a committee, and then orally in front of a presbytery being examined and weighed. Uh, that is serving an internship uh, that is uh, closely scrutinized and evaluated, and then it is being approved to a particular calling. Um, and then many times it is serving in various roles as the church needs for some time. And then many years later, you might find yourself as a solo pastor or an associate pastor or even a senior pastor of a church. That takes a lot of time. There, there, there's a lot of weight to that um, path in our denomination. And there's reasons for that. Um, and I'll plug the Meet the Pastor class and Reform Theology 101 next Sunday school quarter, we will dig into that. And we'll go over why our denomination made the choices that they did in making that a difficult path. 
And so I, I say all of that to say that if you're looking at, at being an elder or being a leader and you want to do it for shameful gain, like you want something out of it, uh, just know in the 10 to 12 years that it'll take you to do that, um, go to trade school, get a really good trade, and you will make more in those 10 years uh, than you will probably ever make uh, in this office. Um, and I encourage that. I'm, again, I'm not using that as a negative example. I encourage you young people about that. Um, but there's, it, it is unwise to seek this office for shameful gain. The other reason I find it unwise to seek this office for shameful gain, the people that are gaining from it aren't doing it right. The, the people that we see, and that's you know mostly the people that are on the popular books or have their TV shows or are being broadcasted on the radio, what they're doing is not gospel work. For what they're doing, what they're promoting, is what's called the prosperity gospel. And there is gain in that. Um, let me be clear. There is large sums of shameful gain in that. And they have it in leaps and bounds. And all you really have to do to promote that gospel is say things like, if you will display your faith, if you will but trust in God by regularly attending our church and regularly tithing more and more into the offering plate, then... God will bless you richer and richer financially, health-wise, and for the benefit and future of your life and the life of your families. That's not the gospel. Um, as we've read through the book of 1 Peter, Peter is telling people to suffer. Peter is preaching to people that when they get through hearing these messages, they die because of their faith. Because being a Christian, it doesn't get them financial gain. It doesn't get them notoriety. It doesn't get them safety and security. It gets them death. And, and so I want to be, again, careful here that, that no one has this wrong idea that, that you can take this office and, and that there's all of these you know, material blessings and benefits that come from it. But at the same time, I also want to be very careful here because there is gain in this office. There is blessing. There is benefit to serving as a leader. I received a, a communication this week um, from a former student that's getting married. And she has asked me to do her counseling. And she has asked me to uh, preside over her wedding. Dear friends, you can't buy that. That, that to me, was, was the highlight of my week. And was worth more than any financial gain I have ever received in this life. Because I, I've got a young lady who I ministered to in school that's saying, I've found a godly man, I want a godly marriage, and I want you to bless our home. You can't buy that, friends. That, that's the gain that we get in this calling. The, the conversations that I, I get to have and the, and the debates that we get to engage in and, and the details we get to go over, whether it's in a home or at a restaurant or getting coffee or on Sunday mornings or, or after church on Sunday or in flock group, we as your elders, you can't buy that. That is a, a privilege and a joy. It is something that, that we covet and rightly using the word not not violating the commandment, but we love those things. You can't buy it from a worldly perspective because it's worthless, but because here's the reality of it. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We're in this not for 
the here and now. We're in this for the return on investment. We're, we're taking advantage of the compound interest that, that when we disciple a child, when we counsel you when your marriage is struggling, when we walk with you through sickness and through loss and through difficulty, that's going to pay out in heaven. That's why we do what we do. That's why, and that must be how elders see it. We've got to look at this not for what we get now, but what we will see later. There is blessing and gain and benefit. And see how that benefits the church? It's not something just kept by the elders. It's not like we get to hoard this like a dragon. We're not sitting on all this and like, look what I get for taking care of all of you. The church is blessed by that. When, when you have elders, when you have people that, that follow this pattern, that are excited about this, the church flourishes. The, the, the church is strengthened. The church is able to endure suffering at a level that, that is rarely understood by this world. And we've seen this all throughout Peter. It is an absolute treasure. And this is what you want. Look for leaders who are excited about shepherding the sheep. And the best way we do this, or, or the way that we should do this, is by example. We, we see in verse 3 that shepherds must lead by example. And Peter does this, again, he, he does his wonderful contrast here. Um, you lead by example, not domineering over them. From a worldly uh, resource, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary um, defines this as exercise arbitrary or overbearing control. Um, and then its second definition, to tyrannize over. Um, I think those are good, but uh, if you look at the Greek here, the word domineering literally translates to lording over someone. Using your position and power to get someone to follow or obey as opposed to careful, intentional, example-filled leading. And this is a real temptation in leadership positions. Um, not specifically to the office of the elder, but I find this hard in parenting. How many of us have told our children to obey because I said so, or because I am the parent. Before long, we start to sound like Mr. Wormwood from the movie Matilda. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't work, and it's terrible form of parenting. And there's a temptation. Let, let's not... You know, only pick on parenting. Um, let's recognize that we do this in our, in our work. We do this in our daily interactions. This is uh, all over the place in corporate America. It just looks a little different because usually we're the same size, so that mantra doesn't work. Um, it will sound like this. Well, I'm more qualified. Or I have the credentials. Or I have read the material. Or look at the work that I've put in on this. Or even very closely to that mantra, because I am in charge. Subtly, it, it, it sneaks in and it, um, it's a way of just setting someone down. You don't want to explain. You don't want to, um, to walk them through your rationale. So you find this hard way of going because. And, and Peter is, is, is making a very clear statement. Elders cannot act like this. 
Elders, instead, lead by examples. And so if we want to teach you how to be humble, we should be humble. If we want to teach you how to forgive, we need to be seen forgiving. If we want to teach you how to be excited about the Scriptures, then you need to see us excited about the Scriptures. And I want to bring up a, a, a very important point for this passage. I, I mentioned it last week, but there's a real temptation here to really narrow this thing down and, and weigh it a little too heavily on the four of us in this room that have the title of elder. Um, these characteristics are not just for us. What this passage calls us to do and, and how this passage calls us to act, um, sh we should all strive for these things. Because let, let's walk this out uh, practically if you're a boss at work and you want to be a better boss lead by example show your people how to act show your people how to respond show them what you would want them to do in a situation and they will be much more likely to do it if you as a parent want more peace in your home then see your work of parenting not as something for worldly gain but as something with eternal significance See the eternal significance of your calling as parents. If your relationships are strained, your, your friends, your family, your co-workers, and, and you want to smooth that out, how about trying this? When you talk to them, when you make promises to them, when you communicate to them, do it because you care about them, not because there may be something for you in it. It'll change relationships. It will change our parenting. It will change our interactions at work. It will take these principles and apply them more broadly to our lives and will demonstrate to the world what it really means to live as a Christian. And oh, I am so excited to get to this point. Um, all of this, everything that we've said, whether particularly for elders or more broadly for us as the church, um, we are going to struggle, we are going to fail. We are going to miss the mark over and over and over again in these things. But Christ. But Christ. Verse 4 really is the heart of this passage. We must look to the chief shepherd. The chief elder. There has been only one way that I could even prepare this series before you. I tell you, it's one of the hardest passages I've ever preached, and we turned it into a three-part series. I turned it into a three-part series. I, I did this to myself. The only way I've been able to do this is verse 4. The only way. Because looking at this list and looking at my life, I believe I told you last week, it's less like looking in a mirror and more like a doctor's physical where he says your cholesterol is up, your blood pressure is high, you've got some funny marks on your skin, we really need to check out, and you're losing your hair. Like it really becomes this just failure, 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 failure. And that would be a depressing thing to tell the church. Boy, would that put us in a bad spot if we just read verses 1 through 3. It really would put us in an awful place. Which is why we don't just read 1 through 3. We read verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
as you shepherd, as you lead, as you love, as you serve for spiritual gain, not financial gain, as you seek to be an example and not domineer, you do so waiting for the chief shepherd. And in case your Bible doesn't capitalize shepherd there, some do, some don't, that is Jesus. That right there is Jesus Christ. And I want you to note the definiteness of what is being said. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The promise from God's word is Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for all of us. We who trust in him by faith will be welcomed into his arms. Those who have rejected him in this life will face eternal suffering and consequences for their sin. But when he appears, those who have served and sacrificed and, and lovingly fought for him and leadership, they will receive these crowns of glory. And I want to say two things about those crowns, because again, I, I want to be very careful that we don't get this wrong idea that we should all rush and seek to be elders I believe the James, the brother of Jesus, says it best. James 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Most of the time we stop there, but he actually continues on. For we all stumble in many ways. To, to receive the office of elder, to take that leadership role... To receive the office of deacon, to take that leadership role, means that we will be held to a higher standard on the day of judgment. For not only have we been tasked with the care of our own life, and if God blesses the lives of our family, but also the flock itself. We will give an account for your lives. And what we did with our time with you. Or what we didn't do. Leaders have the burden. And it, it is very dangerous that, that when leaders fail... And if the, the, the failing is significant enough, and, and I pray that this never is the case, they often take those under them with them. I'm listening through a book right now on leadership by Counselor Paul Tripp. And one of the chapters in the introduction, in fact, he laments this church. A, a pastor was caught in serious sin. He denied it. He denied it. They found evidence. And the church all but fell apart, and it took 10 years to recover. It split the church, half going with the defrocked pastor half staying unsure of what to do next. It, it, it stunted the ministry and the growth and the health of this church for a decade. And so I just caution you, if you find yourself going, hey, you know, this whole leadership thing, it really doesn't sound that bad. Know that it is a heavy crown. There will be crowns for those who lead, but it is heavy. It bears the weight of spiritual care. But the second thing I want to note about this crown that's received by the leaders, um, I, I don't want to focus on the leaders. I actually think the important thing to see here, the crown that's received for leading actually speaks to the value of those that are being led. It, it, it speaks to the quality and value of the sheep. Because you're getting a crown for caring for the sheep of the, sh of the chief shepherd. You're, you're receiving a crown for filling your duty of caring for his sheep, for tending his flock. And why would that be worthy of a crown? Because you are precious, dear church. 
Dear people of God, you have value. You are worth countless treasures to God. For you are his, bought by his son's blood. Jesus, giving up of himself, pouring his blood out on the cross. John 10, 11, one of my favorite passages of all scripture. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what makes him good? What, what gives him the right to claim that title? The next sentence. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's what the chief shepherd did for his sheep. He laid his own life down. You can read in, in scripture, poor shepherds, when hardship comes, they flee. They run. They get out of dodge. They save themselves as the flock is devoured and taken up by all the wickedness that seeks to take it. But a good shepherd, and, and, and truly and ultimately the good shepherd, says, no, you won't take them. You can have me. The only way any of us can live holy lives, as Peter calls us, is through the shed blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that any of us elders can carry out our duties before God and before you is through the shed blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you in one way as we conclude this morning. The promise of God is that God will see this through. Whether we are faithful in our duties as elders or not, heaven forbid that be so, God will see it through. If you were in our Sunday school class in Daniel, we read that the end will come. God will be glorified. His people will be cared for and put on robes of white and will be in, with him in glory. The ending is assured. And my prayer for you and my prayer for us as leaders is that God will protect us. Make our failures small. Make us quick to repent. Help us equip you for the day to come. And may we all look to Christ as the chief shepherd, the savior, the protector of the flock. And by his life and by his example, the one who shows us how to be holy as he is holy. Would you please pray with me? Oh God, as we read a passage like this, two thoughts come to mind. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and be merciful upon us all. We need your forgiveness. We need your strength. We need your grace. All of us, and especially those that have the joy and the burden of leadership. Lord, protect this church. I do pray that you would continue to allow your gospel to be proclaimed from this pulpit. I do pray that you would continue to raise godly men to serve in leadership roles. I do pray, Lord, that until Christ comes back, that this church would stand as a lighthouse as a bastion of faithfulness for this community and for your name. Would you make that so, O oh Lord? So again we ask, be merciful to us and come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.